Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and today we got an amazing episode with the one, the only, Patrick Reagan. Now, before we dive into this episode, I want to give a shout out to two amazing brands here, Hoka and Goo, two brands in which Patrick is sponsored by, but also two of my very favorite brands in the sport of ultra running. Hoka, as you all know, is my favorite trail shoe of choice and favorite road shoe of choice. Uh, I don't know why I distinguish between both trail and road because in general, Hoka is my go-to shoes um, and Goo is my go-to nutrition product um, for my ultras in terms of training and racing. And I'll actually be putting uh, Hoka and Goo to the test this weekend at the Havelina 100 this Saturday. Um, super excited for it. I've been waiting for this race for a while and I'll be racing in the Hoka Tecton X's, which are the carbon plated trail shoe. Could not recommend that shoe enough for fast and flatter ultras. I think they are incredible um, and definitely something to look into if you're looking to hit a fast and flat ultra on the trail for sure. And then most of my nutrition will be with goo products, uh, specifically the goo gels and the goo waffles. Um, man, I'm going to be needing those because I'm looking for, for a pretty fast time this Saturday and they're delicious. They go down easy. They have a wide range of flavors and they even have some of the Roctane products that have extra amino acids and sodium in there which is always useful to have out on long efforts. So I'm putting them to the test this Saturday in my Havelina 100. I know Patrick is putting it to the test this Saturday at Havelina 100. And coming from the guy who is the king of that race, I mean, you know that these are good and trusted products for sure. So check out Hoka, check out Goo. If you're looking to learn more about them, check out the show notes in the bio. But for now, let's get into the king of Havelina 100 himself, Patrick Reagan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione. Today, we have an episode with a guest I've been wanting to chat with for a while, and I'm super excited to chat with him. And also, it's very timely because, as you all know, listening to this podcast, we're coming up on the legendary Havelina 100 race here in the Arizona area in Scottsdale, um, which is golden ticket race attracts talent from all across the country and even from some other parts of the world because it is one of the most premier ultra races. And today we have what I call the king of the Havelina 100 race because he has won that race not only three times, but he is also the course record holder at the legendary race. And he will be competing at the most upcoming event in 2022 here in just a few days. But on top of that as well, he is also an ultra, uh, an ultra endurance coach where he helps tons of clients reach their running goals. And he is the guy to go to for it, being that he's got an accomplished record of being the USA TF 100 mile trail national champion in 2019, 2017 USA TF Ted Corbett ultra runner of the year. And he's also a runner 
for the Hoka team and is sponsored by Goo, Ultra Aspire, Inside Tracker, and tons of other companies as well. So when it comes to ultra endurance, this is the guy to talk to, and I'm so excited to dive into them. So without further ado, love to introduce Patrick Regan to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Patrick, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate you. Hey, Joe. Yeah, appreciate you having me on, man. Been uh, looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, thanks for reaching out. Yeah, absolutely, man. And thanks for jumping on this. I'm so excited for you at Javelina. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you beforehand, but I'm also racing in the race. And uh, when people always ask like, oh, who, who's in the field this year? Like, who do you like? And I'm like, man, like Patrick Regan's coming back. Like this is his race. And I was telling you beforehand, like when I think of that race, I think of you because you just owned it. And I'm curious to hear definitely more about what the 2022 edition is looking like for you, how you're kind of going into that. But before we dive into the meat and potatoes and all that, uh, would love to hear the Patrick Regan story of how you got into this crazy world of ultra running. Cause you've had an accomplished career and it'd be so cool to hear how this all got started for you. Yeah. It's been an interesting track for me, uh, where I have a pretty traditional background with like collegiate and college running, um, at a relatively high level, some success, you know, uh, getting a couple of time All-American awards in cross country, division two, and taking a big break from the sport um, before I got back into the running world, um, coaching collegiately for eight years. Uh, and at about year five, I, I started to get a little more serious about running again. I guess that was probably around 2014, 15, um, diving a little bit more into the half marathon, marathon on the roads, not really finding a home there as much as I think I had a bit of an affinity for it. I think I was ready for something new and began to explore a little bit more with getting up in the mountains and in the Asheville area, Chattanooga area with friends, um, finding peace on the trails, uh, running a lot with Morgan Elliott, uh, my friend, Andrew Snope, and they kind of lit the fire a little bit for me when it comes to ultra running, just the respect I had for those guys doing audacious, crazy things in the mountains. Um, at that juncture, I, I was pretty sure that I had more of an affinity for road ultras. So that was kind of the path I went at first, uh, getting more in with U USATF races like Mad City, 100K road discipline type stuff, uh, running at the world champion championships in 2016 and finding that, wow, I love the roads, but I'm curious in exploring further distances in this sport, right? Um, with the support of Hoka, I was able to, you know, chase my dreams in terms of you know, going to races like Comrades, um, you know, having a chance to compete at events like Havelina, my first one, which, which was a big, um, you know, turning point in my career for me in terms of telling, showing me that, Hey, uh, you maybe have an affinity for the hundred mile distance too. So that was an interesting track towards the hundred mile distance, which is kind of my preferred now. Right. Um, yeah. I hope I didn't abbreviate that too much. I, I've told, you know, my background on a lot of different casts and I don't want to elongate it there for you. No, that's great, man. I love it too. And it's so cool to, I love that you mentioned how you were surrounded by a group of runners that kind of piqued your interest into the sport. It kind of reminds me of like the, the most recent Instagram post you did, how you're saying like, I'm loving being out here with my friends, like with the community and enjoying it. And it's so cool to see that it's carried out through, you know, the genesis of how you got into trail running into it is now. And, you know, obviously now you're one of the most decorated names in the sport. So it's cool to see that you're still holding on to that. And that's what got you in there. 
I'm curious on that first Javelina race, right? Because you mentioned there was a turning point in career. Like, tell us a little bit more about that. And like, what was that turning point like in terms of, you know, jettisoning you into where you are right now in your running career? Yeah, I'd say that one gave me a, a new level of confidence that, that I could do this on the trails too. Up until that point, I was doing more, you know, 100K road, um, more races like Ultra Vassan. Hmm. Uh, I had a little bit, bit of experience at Comrades, and I thought that was just the track I would take and, and drive that path, right? <laughs> Go back to the 100K World Championships every year. But Zach had convinced me, Zach Bitter, to to maybe consider the hundred mile distance, mm. you know, your, your, your pacing strategy, your style of racing, the way you like to hunt and whether you, whether or not you run negative splits, you maybe have the, the best last 20% of the race in the hundred K within the field. Right. And, and that was the way I, I'd ran more in college too, whether it was cross country track and field, I always felt like I was, I was a steady runner, right? Like mm. I could hold a pretty nice level pace for the whole run. So the curiosity, like Zach sparked it for me. Why don't you come to Havelina? You've had a little bit of a, a rocky year in terms of the start and your health. Why not turn this around and, and just come run hundred miles with me? So, you know, the previous year we competed at the world championships together and, and Zach convinced me, Hey, Havelina is a perfect course for you. You know, you're a strength runner that it's, it's rolling, but it's not mountainous. And this is a perfect venue for you to learn. You know, it's soft underfoot. You don't have to turn 400 laps on a track. Um, and I had always been more of a hot weather runner. I've always loved running in, you know, warmer conditions, you know, at, at each level that I've competed at. So Havelina was a kind of a perfect venue for me in terms of, well, this, this kind of fits the whole mold. Um, it allows me to hunt. It allows me to capitalize on other people's errors and mistakes early in the run people that go out too hard, you know, you have to respect the course, um, and, and kind of under Zach's tutelage a little bit that that's what set me up for, you know, for choosing this race. I mean, I can remember that day, like, like the back of my hand, right, Joe, like, I mean, you're running Havelina this year. So you, you know, the respect you have to apply wire to wire at this course in terms of topical cooling, um, the importance of thermoregulation and, you know, making sure that you have ice on person as kind of that, positive external stimulus to, to make sure you can keep digesting calories and eating. And I can remember, um, like I wasn't particularly doing that <laughs> during the run, you know, maybe at mile 40, I wasn't respecting it quite as much. And mm. Kristen Nucci came up, I can remember and said, Hey man, like it's pretty warm. It's going to trend over a hundred, deep in the desert. You should throw this ice band in on. And that was kind of my aha moment for me, right? Like I'd never had to apply that sort of, um, stimulus before in a race. And, and Chris, I think kind of saved that day for me because me and Zach and Brendan at that juncture mile 40 or so, we're starting to rip each other apart and it was going to trend a hundred. Uh, and, and I can remember for the rest of the run, you know, just every step, I felt like I was learning something on that course and I was mm. chasing, you know, two of the best runners in the world, right. Between your Australian national record holder, and Zach Bitter, I mean, you're talking the best at that discipline, right? So to have even hung wire to wire at that point with those guys was pretty empowering for me. Um, and then for the last three loops to have went the way they did, where you know I caught up to those guys and began to put a little space on them. And the last lap just feeling so dialed, you know, and Eric Sensman paced me for my final lap. I can remember, uh, you know, him saying, I, I just can't believe we're still moving at sub eight minutes a mile, man. Like you're, 
you know, you're, you're made for this. And I think I've always taken like Eric's advice, you know, to, to heart there that, you know, the guy tells you something, he's, he's not BSing you, you know, he's, he's setting you up for, Hey, you should, you should follow this path, this hundred mile path. So for me, that was a big day. It was empowering. And I knew this could lead to other events like Western States, um, and the other, all the other like great American hundreds and hundreds around the world, you know, I, I love diving into that story. Cause it's so cool. It's so interesting to see that, like, even up to like 40 miles in a race, like Javelina, cause I agree with you, I think, and I've never done it before transparently, but I know, you know, living out here in Arizona and kind of hearing about the race from that community, it's like, people see that race and like, Oh, you know, it's relatively flat, of course. Right. You got the climb to jackass and everything, but you know, compared to other ultras, like it's a runner's race and people think, Oh, you know, it's a runner's race. Probably not that bad, but the heat is there. Those little rolling climbs can get to you. And it's like, if you're not respecting that course or the desert like that much, like that's what, that's what smashes you. And it's so cool to see, like when you, you know, started to get that topical cooling, that ice on your body and ultimately like start to hone in on those strategies, like even in that race, like that click kind of just happened. And clearly it's kind of taken with you through like the subsequent times, eventually leading to your course record, um, you know, accomplishment on the course. Now it's funny. You mentioned like, you know, uh, like the mentioning of like, wow, I can't believe we're still running under eight minute pace. It's funny because I was actually running with someone. We were talking about you and they mentioned, they said, they were like, yeah, when Patrick runs, he's, he's like a metronome, like his, his form never wavers, like throughout the hundred miles, like, like mile one and mile 99, he's looking the same out there. What is the key to that? Because I, I think with a lot of ultra runners, including myself, you know, when you run out there it always seems to get painful, right? We might get a little more sloppy in our form, whether it's like some aches and pain somewhere, we just get tired. Like, how do you maintain that metronome kind of consistency with your form that you're so well known for in the sport? Well, Joe, like anything else, it comes down to, to practicing those like proper biomechanics in your everyday running. And I think more than most runners, I probably run at that hundred mile effort as much or more than anyone at that, that exact perceived exertion for me, it's like learn to run 180 to 188 steps a minute, right? That's kind of my magic spot for hundred mile races and learn to run that cadence at your hundred mile effort. That's tricky. That's really tough to do, right? I, I find it difficult to do as someone that's coming from like a road background where yes, running 520 a mile, it's pretty comfortable to run that many steps a minute, but try doing it 745 a mile or eight minutes a mile, right? Mm. The say, just say that roughly the pace you plan to run your hundred mile race at, it becomes a little bit trickier. And that takes a lot of practice from a biomechanical standpoint. The more you become comfortable with that, the better be, you become about applying it on race day. So I think maybe one of the struggles for runners that are transitioning, like maybe women that are, you know, 240 to 245 marathoners or guys that are, you know, 215 to 225 marathoners, they may not practice that enough. Mm -hmm. We may have more like a 75% conversion rate of those types of athletes if they practiced running slow more often. So for clients that I work with, of course, we apply your traditional, you know, bread and butter stuff that works for ultra runners and you know, marathoners, right. We, you're three by two miles or a marathon effort or 15 by one K at, um, half marathon kind of effort for preparing for marathons, this, this sort of work, but we also apply a lot of this slow running <laughs> and learning mm -hmm. to 
eat calories at those paces and run the proper pain cadence at those paces. So a lot of clients I work with, we, we practice this a ton. Um, I, I like to think that that's something I've dialed and worked to dial really intensively since that first run at Havelina. you know, learning to eat 400 calories an hour, you know, learning to run that many steps per minute at slower paces, you become a metronome in that way that you're talking about because you learn to like lose very little energy with vertical displacement or torsional rotation. You become incredibly practiced at this, but that, that comes with, you know, years and years and years of doing this, right. I've been doing this for 20 years, roughly running, you know, endurance, you know, athletics like this, um, and good core strength doing stride work on a really regular basis. Um, you know, doing weight vest strength training, things that make your glutes, you know, your, your hip flexors, um, strong, any of those inexhaustible muscles, um, and also having really good ancillary strength in the abdominal and the lower back area, that's going to help you to keep that good form wire to wire. Right. So it's a complicated question because there's a lot of small components that go into that answer. But for the most part, you, you have to practice the paces you plan to race at, you know, are, are you good at running a high step per minute count, um, at 10 minute pace when you're falling apart? Cause you can make it look like you're not falling apart. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty decent at <laughs> making it look like I'm not falling apart when I'm running 10 minute miles late in hundreds, right. Or nine thirties or whatever. Um, so to me, I'm kind of hiding how bad I'm falling apart. <laughs> Maybe. And, right. And just with well, good biomechanical good. structure and, and making sure I don't walk away from the, the primary, you know, yeah. Action of running. Dude. I love that answer. I think that's so interesting that you dived into like the cadence aspect and how it relates to your pace. Um, because it's so interesting that you brought like the, the marathon runners into it. I've seen personally, so many of my friends who are great marathoners, they BQ'd, you know, they're very, very good. And then they, it's a, when I see, when you see them transition into like the hundred mile distance or anything, it's like, uh, it's, it's just a completely different ball game. Like just in terms of not just the race and the mileage itself, but like the training and like everything like that. And it's, it's a whole different approach. And I've never thought of it like, you know, being able to maintain a certain cadence for a slower effort that you can sustain for a hundred miles, which is great. And I love that you tapped into nutrition and practicing on there. The one thing that I always appreciate about, you know, your Strava posts is like, you're always putting like what you're having on your runs from like the water to like the gels to the calories and everything. And it's always intrigued me how, you know, even on some runs where you think, Oh, I wouldn't feel for this. Like you're fueling, like you're either taking like a gel or you're taking like some sort of sure. drink mix or something like that. And I, I think that's interesting. So kind of dive into that a bit. Like, is that, is that something you think more runners should do? Because like, and even I'll just give a glimpse of my training. If I'm going for like an hour 45 run, probably not fueling, but I don't know if that's optimal or not. And they, that's just like, Oh, I don't need to eat. Like, but I see sometimes on your runs, you'll take a gel, you'll drink a drink mix or something like that. So would love to hear your kind of approach on that as like a coach. Yeah. So both myself and the coaches I partner with Nicole Manette, Randy Taylor, um, we are pretty strong believers in practicing with nutrition on a really regular basis. Now, I'm not encouraging people to take so much nutritional product that you become diabetic, right? That there's a line there, but I do believe that a few days a week for your longer, more important sessions, especially your extra long run, ideally 
um, you know, a speed work session where you're humping along, you know, maybe for an hour 30 session with 30 or 40 minutes of quality work in the middle, whether that's a tempo or, you know, broken interval kind of set up like broken threshold, um, or just cruise interval as a marathon, half marathon effort. Um, and then also kind of your, your mid range day, that in between day, or if you're more of like a, if your coach has you set up on kind of a back to back long run setup, um, maybe explore with your coach, or if you don't have a coach, you know, consult with us just about how you can add in a few days a week where you're getting specific because specificity to me and technicality to me comes down to how difficult is it to get the job done on the course? And when I think of technical, I don't necessarily think of how technical is the footing on this course. In a lot of ways, I think that Haviland 100 can be less technical than a course like maybe Leadville or mm. Well, I think, I think here, I should clarify this. I think Havilene a hundred can be much more technical than a big, than a big mountain race where it doesn't ever get really hot. Right. Even mm -hmm. if the technicality, the footing is more technical, there are, there are particular parameters that can go wrong at an event like this in high heat, maybe more so than a race that doesn't go up to crazy elevations, but is mountainous. Okay. So when it comes to preparing for a race like this, I get extremely specific with my nutrition in the hottest conditions I can possibly see, which in Savannah, 115, 120 degree heat index, right. Um, you know, doing solo 40 or 50 mile runs, practicing the exact race day nutrition, kind of the ideal pace per mile or the perceived exertion. So on your regular week to week, I would suggest like three concentrated days a week. I mean, you don't want to go broke eating nutrition products. I'm fortunate I'm sponsored by goo and, and they, they support my needs for that, but for whatever you can afford, right. If you, if you decide, Hey, you know, I can afford $10 of nutrition a week, um, utilize that in a specific way where you're using it when you're running the paces you plan to, to race at, or you're doing mm -hmm. your longer sessions. I, I find that practicing a few days a week like that is really helpful for me. Um, another thing I like to do is if I think I can eat something in a race or I think it's possible, I might start out with that in the run. So if I'm like, okay, if things go South with, with gels or sports drink, if I become a little nauseous and I need to pivot to the more savory end of the platform for a little while to, to remove sugar for maybe an hour and work off pure water, I may practice with something like mashed potatoes or a wrap with avocado and, and goat cheese, whatever it may be in it before the run and test during the long run, how the stomach felt with something like that in the system. So there are different ways. Like we try these tactics. Like, uh, I work with a guy last week. He'd said, uh, I said, Hey, have you ever thought like, maybe you could do an ice cream sandwich, dude, like in the middle of this next ultra, why don't it, why don't it mile 18 of this 34 miler? you ingest something like that. Cause we're running a hundred mile perceived exertion. That's the idea here. Right. Um, other clients that think, yeah, I'm going to just eat boiled potatoes. What do you practice with that? Right. Mm. So my answer is always like, you should practice with it in, in training. If you think there's even an inkling of a chance you could want to do it on race day. So that's kind of how I went down the rabbit hole of doing a lot of chips, doing a lot of like watermelon. Um, yeah, I'm at the point where I can, I can eat about 400 calories of potato chip an hour, which is crazy. Right. But that took a lot of practice 
And that took me realizing in a few different ultras, whoa, if I only go the sweet end of the spectrum the entire day, I could become nauseous. Mm -hmm. And then where do I go? I've never practiced anywhere else. I have nowhere to go. So Yeti, you know, a couple of years ago in 2020, yeah, the last four or five hours I was, I was just on potato chip, you know, cause it, it was just a cool day. It was kind of demanding a lot of the body to just stay warm. And I can remember, um, you know, sports drink, just not working for an hour. So I'd go an hour of chips an hour of sports drink, but I think you need to practice those things in training. I think they can be just as important as, you know, a really solid VO two max. I mean, for, for a runner, you know, it's another tool in your toolbox. So. Dude, that was so good. Like so much value in that answer. Like is, I mean, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that and how much our listeners probably appreciate that. Cause as you know, and I'm sure you've seen this in clients and just being in the sport for a while, it's crazy. Like how much GI issues and nutrition issues have an effect on the amount of DNFs or like low performance in a race. Sure. Like almost as much as like not having great fitness out there. Right. It's like, you can have the best fitness in the world, like a VO two max, like you mentioned, that's like high as heck, but if you've got those stomach problems or you're not feeling well, or maybe you're bonking, like that VO two max goes out the window at that point. It's like, and being able to practice that I think is something that's, not as dialed in for a lot of people and not blaming people. I just think it's more so not as common knowledge, but I love how you give like the framework and I like how you keep going back to practice, even if it's an inkling or a chance of it on race day, because the tendency, including I noticed this in myself is like saying like, Oh, here's my plan. Like, here's what I think is going to happen, but I don't know how I'm going to feel out there. Like, am I going to feel nauseous? Like, am I going to have a potato chip? Like why even risk that on like, the, the race when I can just try it and just see it out on there. Cause even just like the risk reward from there is just, you know, so massive if you don't go there and actually like apply it into your training, you know? Yeah. One thing I've seen too, Joe is like altering the medium can really help. Right. Mm. The, when I'm talking about going from savory to sweet, savory to sweet, even if you find 40 minutes of the hour is savory, 20 minutes of the hour is water cleansing the palate and going to um, the, the other end, right? So 40 minutes, sweet, 20 minutes, savory, 40 minutes, sweet, 20 minutes, savory. It can work in different proportions for every person. Um, I've definitely had hours where I'm like, okay, in the first 45 minutes of the hour, you trickle 250 calories of Roctane sports drink in the latter of the hour, we stick strictly on watermelon and potato chip to take us up another hundred calories. And then maybe at aid, when we get to aid during that hour, Maybe we'll take a shot of something that looks good, ginger ale. Um, and then as we're heading out of that aid, then we'll take the required number of branched chain amino acid capsules and electrolyte capsules for that hour. So when I'm looking at my watch in a race, I'm never looking at it for pace. I have, much, I have watch splits disabled, right? I only look at it to see total time for the purpose of nutrition total mileage, and then average pace for the entire run. And that keeps me a lot more relaxed in this way than I'm able to focus on, Hey, how are the biomechanics? Like, what do you need at this aid station? Right. There's no distraction of, Oh, I spent three minutes at that aid station. That was a, that was a 10 30. I'd been averaging seven thirties. It's unwanted stress. Right. So I think that the less you can pay attention to the usual things you do on a standard road run or trail run, right. The more you can dive into on race day, those specific times at which you might want to alter the calories. 
But if you have a device telling you, Ooh, that was a 1145 mile, you've been running 10 minute miles. That's a stress that takes your mind away from, Hey, I'm, I'm off schedule. I'm off the eating schedule, or I'm not paying attention to, you know, needing to topical cool right now. Right. So it, it, it's interesting in that I think changing the medium like that up on a really regular basis is important. And I remove a lot of the parameters of what you would think based on say my splits, et cetera, you would think I'd be focused, really, really focused on coming through hundred K at this mark. Like I never think about splits in that way. I know what's too aggressive, you know, pace wise, like total pace. If I could, you know, Hey Joe, if you, if you look back and you see my splits and you see 655 for my first loop at Havelina, I, I screwed up, right. That was way too fast, but I'm also not worrying about 718 versus 724 a mile, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there's a window that I know I should be at roughly, but I'm less worried about losing contact with someone than I am about what am I eating for the first hundred K. I don't care about contact with anyone, right? I only care about my nutritional program and the right perceived exertion. So those are kind of the mechanics of, you know, how I address running a hundred mile race for the most part. Dude. So fascinating. Like, I, like I like felt like this click in my head when you mentioned even just like having the watch splits turned off on your watch. Cause I think to your point, and I resonate with that so much because so many times have I been in a race where like, I see the splits and I'm just thinking about the splits. I'm not thinking about the nutrition. And then maybe I get to an aid and I'm like, all right, I need to like pick it up. And then that causes me to not fill up my bottle or not take like that extra gel that I needed to do. And then that's the thing that ends up screwing it up and it's not the slow pace. And so I think that's so genius that you're doing that. And I love that concept of switching the medium around it. Right. Because I think like a lot of people was like, Hey, like maybe I just need to switch the food or like not as tactical, but I feel like switching the mediums a lot more like flexible easier to plan out. Like, I love how, like, you kind of have like that contingency plan, like all laid out of how you feel like hour by hour and, you know, minutes, like segments within that hour, which I think is just so incredible and diving like a bit more into like the coaching thing. Right. Because I mean, that nutrition advice is weighted gold love, like even the mental advice of just like with the watch. I mean, obviously you work with tons of clients and you know, you're, you're one of the most prominent coaches in the space. What are some other things that you really help out with your athletes that you feel like is a cornerstone of your training that could help any runner, you know, in this space, achieve their goals that you think has really led to the success in your clients and kind of how you work with them. It's a good question. Um, it, there's a, there are a lot of details in terms of, uh, my program being detail oriented. Um, some things are very simplistic and they don't change. They're always in the program. And that may be our weight fat, weight vest strength training program. Um, that kind of originates from Magda Belay and Roxanne Vogel, um, or my like core strength training program, which is like very isometric that is always in your week, right? It's something you do three days a week. The weight vest is something you do two days a week, but probably the most valuable thing that I can share with athletes is actually backing them off of intensity a little bit and getting more specific to, um, the course they're about to run. So uh, although some programs like I've been in, um, will have maybe two hard quality sessions per week. We usually only have about three quality sessions a month on average for the athletes mm -hmm. that I'm working with. And when I say quality, I mean, your eight mile tempo at marathon pace or, you know, three by two miles at marathon with a three minute, 30 second jog in between, or 
you know, eight or 10 by one K maybe moving from marathon to half marathon effort, these type of quality sessions, right? Um, a lot of our quality sessions are derivative of programs like Northern Arizona university where they use the lumberjack, right? Um, you alter pace and interval distance throughout you touch some tempo effort, you touch some, you know, 10 K effort, you touch some half marathon effort. You maybe even touch a little five K effort. Um, these sessions are all important, but I didn't, you know, for the most part, they're derivative for me. They come from, uh, Jack Daniels or Damon Martin or, um, you know, great coaches like, you know, in the history of the NEU program, the, these are all accessible program, uh, quality sessions. You can find them anywhere, but I think more than anything, what I can teach people is, is patience and like learning to take your recovery days, um, very seriously. And also adding specificity, like we've talked about here with eating on your long runs, how you go about being, getting more comfortable eating 300 calories an hour when you can't really stomach gels, you've never been able to really eat them. Right. Um, I think that in my program more than any, um, anywhere that like I've been in the past in terms of other programs I've been in, we concentrate on the long run being probably the most important day of the week to practice the specificity of the race. Like when I think about my most important day of the week, it always goes back to the long run or the easy mid range run. Uh, mm -hmm. We do a lot of strides, you know, David Roche has it like really figured out. I think with strides um, I've been, you know, involved in a lot of programs that, that keep strides in there as a important uh, biomechanical exercise to focus on running efficiency and economy development. So we do a few days of strides a week. Um, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> I, I don't think that my program is uh, like superior to anyone else's. I, I think there's so much good knowledge out there and there's so many great ways to apply it. There's so many great coaches, but I do like to think that like, I become a friend as much as your coach. And I, I get you to believe in the process of this program and help you to really practice the important mechanics of becoming really good at the hundred mile race. So yeah, there's a lot of details that go into a program, Joe, but you know, the, the ones I've uh, raised, I guess, are, are those that are most important in mind. Dude, that is awesome. I love the, the point that you mentioned there is like you teach I mean, number one, or two, the early part of the answer is like the patience, right? Which is something we all need. Like when we're running a hundred mile races or out there for a very long time, even just a long run, like patience is key to it all. Like, especially if you're going at slower intensity. So I'd love that. But then the second part, which I thought was amazing too, where you mentioned, you said you get your athletes to believe in the process, right? I can speak from personal experience. Like sometimes we're going, to, so I work with Zach Bitter, who you mentioned before, and, you know, probably to his chagrin a few times, like I, he's told me to do something and I've like done something else. And it's like, I think getting to believe in the process is one of the best aspects of a coach. Cause like, even I hopped on a call with him and he helped me do the same exact thing. And so it's like to have someone who can go and like believe in the process, like you mentioned is like so paramount because, and I think like, I mean, of course your results speak for it too, but also at the same time, I mean, as you know, with runners, it can, we can, we always get in our heads, whether it's, we see someone on Strava, like doing a more mileage or like doing a different workout and we're like, oh, should we be doing this? So I love how you have that aspect in there. Like, how do you, how do you go about that? Like, how do you, like when someone has like a training plan, whether it's like either from a coach like yourself or something like else, like, how do we get to that point where we believe in the process, like fully? Because I think it's something that, does more harm than good. It has for me in the past. Like I can say like, even before I worked with a coach, like I would have a plan and then I would 
completely change it based on like what other people would see. And like that got me in terrible spots and I've seen it happen with other people. How do you get someone to believe in the process and maybe how, I guess you've done this throughout your career and your own running as well. Well, a big part of picking a coach is knowing that they're a person you can connect with in terms of a mutual respect for each other. Um, but also understanding that your philosophies like align when it comes to endurance athletics, right? Mm. Some people believe in extremely high volumes um, and lots of vert and vert and volume piling up, meaning that it's going to equate to a great race. But I think the most important thing is at the origin is to communicate with the athlete you're working with in order to develop an understanding with volumes that they believe have worked for them in the past, mm -hmm. right? And the style of taper that has worked for them, um, how often they need a down week, right? A rest week and kind of putting that in this compartment or, or a doc or, you know, your own memory bank as a coach to help you remember, this is how this person functions. And in the past, they've got injured because they didn't do X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't take a down week every third week, or they tried to reach to 120 miles a week when the magic number for them was hundred, right? They've always got hurt when they go over 15,000 feet of vert a week. So I think it takes a lot of communication and I don't particularly coach a lot of people, um, so that I can really focus on the individual athlete, right? Mm. And understand that, I mean, I have some athletes that don't get over 45 miles a week and break 22 hours and 100 mile races, right? Oh, wow. I have other athletes that run upwards of 120 miles a week at peak and run over 160 for 100 or for 24 hour races, right? Um, but I think the thing that, that I'm particularly good at is developing understanding of like where someone, where the cap is for a particular person based on the other demands within their life. Mm -hmm. I hope this is answering the question because yeah. the programs for me, like individually are very individualized for the, the person, right? There, there are of course these mechanics like that I put in almost every program, like, like we mentioned earlier, weight, best strength, core strength strides. These are important, but what do you do with, you know, for example, Nicole Manette, right? I coach Nicole. And then I coach Stephanie Flippin. Okay. They both have really demanding jobs outside of running, right? Physical therapist, woman that owns her own practice with Mitchell, her husband. And those are demands that don't really allow them to maybe reach as though it was like their professional running was all they had going on. Right. So we develop a mileage and that works well for the two of them. And we've been able to see you know, 1404 at Tunnel Hill, 1402 at Jackpot, right? We've been able to see really great marks from those two ladies, but it was more, more than I think it was the types of quality sessions we were doing along the way, or, you know, where's their VO2 max at, you know, is the blood work perfect? It's more like over time, we just found this great rhythm that worked for, for each of them. And they both do very different types of sessions and their weeks are structured in very different ways, right? Nicole has three kids. You know, S Stephanie doesn't have children right now. So it's kind of like they have different demands. So I can't just spit out the same program and help them even prepare for jackpot in exactly the same way. Like maybe their taper looks similar, 
but maybe Stephanie tops out at a higher volume. Maybe Nicole does a little bit more speed work, right? So even two athletes that I work with that are running just about the same times, right? Low 14s, you know, hopefully eventually mid 13s or top 10 at Western States, whatever it may be, they're still different athletes. So it comes down to me to understanding like how to structure things for an athlete so that we get the best result, you know, for them. Dude, that's so, so good. And I think it speaks volumes, no pun intended to the mileage or the vert in there, but uh, I think it speaks volumes to how you've been able to help your clients get so much success, right? Obviously, as I mentioned before, like you're a decorated runner and there's that, and I know that has like a big part in as well. And at the same time, taking that personal approach, I think to each person is amazing, right? And like seeing how it's like, hey, you might be running the same race, but if you have different jobs, if you have kids, like if you're going through life stressors or, you know, maybe your body doesn't handle certain things a different way, maybe blood work is showing different things. Like, I love how you take that specificity approach to it and not just into like the physical aspect of running, but also the things going on within their life and what their circumstances are, man. So I think that speaks volumes, you know, as to how you're able to get such great results with your clients. And I think that's something that makes a great coach is like when you're able to understand, you know, the nuances of the person and not just, hey, this person's racing Javelina or, hey, this person's racing racing states and this is their goal, right? That's just two variables in the pot of like a gamut of different things that you got to consider to get that optimal training, man. And it seems like you have that all down on pat, which is amazing. And dude, I, I would, man, I like... I feel like I can talk with you on hours and end, but I would be remiss if we didn't uh, at least touch on Javelina. So I'd love to just pivot the conversation a little bit because we got we got we got yeah, Javelina sure. coming up, you know, two weeks from when we're recording this. I'm sure even sooner when we have this episode out. And as I mentioned before, and as you mentioned in the beginning, this was a turning point for you when you first raced it. You own this race. Like when people think of Javelina, they think of Patrick Regan, course record holder, coming on here. I mean, this is going to be obviously not your first rodeo into 2022. So I'm interesting to hear your perspective on going into this race, because, you know, knowing you and kind of doing research, like 2021 was a very interesting year for you with some ups some downs and, you know, navigating through different things. And, you know, this race, I feel like is like one of the, the bigger races that, you know, you're kind of tackling like since, you know, those ups and downs in there. So tell us a little bit of kind of the journey going into this Javelina and why this one, maybe if, if you are, I'm assuming here, but if it is a different approach and mindset that you're taking to this one that you maybe haven't taken towards the first few times that you race this. Yeah. I think the, the first three times I raced this, um, nothing had really gone wrong for me other than one injury in 2018 that kind of had me down and out following like my first javelina for about three months. Um, I had an issue like in the pubic symphysis area, um, called osteitis pubis where like my rectus abdominis was in very good shape, but like the attachment point was, was at risk. So I, I had a little bit of a down period there, but within that three year arc, right. 2017, 18, 19, very little had gone wrong approaching Havilene 100. Like, I still probably had 217 to 220 marathon or type fitness, right? Um, at, at least 220 to 224. Um, I was in a position in 2019 at Havilene where I was coming off of a great race at Western States and a great 
you know, month of training in Leadville and Chamonix, um, you know, doing trans Rockies, getting a big week in there, doing OCC. You know, I was, I was basically training through all those experiences with this idea of preparing for Havelina into Brazos and trying to nail that do- double, which, which is probably like my best, like six weeks ever <laughs> in ultra running, you know, uh, you're looking at, you know, 13, 11 at Havelina and coming back with 12, 21 at Brazos, like, I still look at that and think, okay, I would never sign up an athlete for that. <laughs> you know, I would probably never sign myself up for that again. It, it was a wild experience. But following that, um, I, I'd had some rocky patches. I mean, everyone had rocky patches in 2020, but there was definitely a little light after that. You know, I, I ran 1330 at Yeti, uh, my friend Jason Green's race up in Virginia. Uh, and then 2021 was pretty rough for me. I mean, I had a rough go at jackpot. I had a pretty rough go at Western States. And then similar to the beginning of this year, I had a rough go at jackpot where I had more of an acute issue. I had pretty good fitness, but like I had an acute knee issue that was, um, that just kind of popped up out of nowhere on race day. Mm. So up until that point, I, I think, I think I was in my own head a little bit psychologically about, whoa, do I still like, do I still have what it takes here? Right. Mm. And I was being very results oriented more so than I am now, I think. I've always liked to think I'm not extremely results oriented, but looking back on it, I'm like how hard those three races hit me, right? Jackpot, Western States, jackpot again. I was worrying too much about the outcome of the race, I think. Mm. So for this Havelina and this whole block, I've decided I'm not going to be results oriented. I'm not going to Havelina to you know run for or take a golden ticket. I'm going there because it's my favorite race and it's a bit of a homecoming. And I have other plans next year, right? I'm not, I'm not running Western States next year. Even if I find my position, getting a golden ticket, um, I'm going to run Umstead. I'm going to ideally concentrate on either Leadville or Spartathlon and then tunnel Hill in the fall. So I'm kind of in this position where I'm going to concentrate on some other races that aren't Western States. So I don't have necessarily the pressure of the golden ticket. I'm going here because it's my favorite race and it's homecoming, <laughs> you know, in that way where it's just like, wow, this, this kind of feels like I'm going b- back to the place that established my love for the hundred mile distance. Mm. And I get to run against this incredible field of runners, right? A lot of people I have tons of respect for Dakota Jones. I have a ton of respect for that guy. I haven't, you know, haven't met him. don't know him in person, but pretty much respect all around for what the guy does for the sport. Right. Uh, Matt Daniels, he's a really good guy. I think this is a course that plays really well to him. Um, Arlen Glick is an incredible runner. Uh, he's had a great run for a few years. Um, wow. I, I'm going to miss a bunch of guys. Ryan Montgomery has had a great run on this course and, you know, gave me a great run at um, Brazos Bend too. And he's just a great dude. Um, so I, I think all around this race is going to be deep and competitive. I mean, I know I'm forgetting a few guys right now. I'm just thinking of the ones that are at the very top of my head. Um, but it's less about the competition for me this time around and far more about just delving into that, that well of pain in the late stages of this race, getting out on my favorite course in the world and just going through the motions and the mechanics that I know result in a good run for me. So in that way, it's a, you know, a bit of a celebration, but I, I have a purpose too, right? I mean, I plan to, I plan to run very well, and I've had a great training block and the indicators show that, yeah, I think this should go exceptionally well. I just have to live in the moment and stay positive, 
You know, it's like, it's like HR from bad brains, man, PMA, apply that positive mental attitude. You know, you have to, and if you don't, you kind of walk away from the element of like what this means to you. And for me, like ultra running is at this point, it's kind of like my life's work. Like my coaching is too, for sure. But this is what I think I've found that I'm best at in life. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of an obscure thing in the grand scheme of like what people get good at, but it's my thing and I love it. So why be so, it's kind of like I talk to my runners. It's hard to talk to yourself in this way, but runners that I work with, I always say, no matter what the race outcome is here, this race does not define you as a person. So my last couple of rough experiences with hundreds, I've kind of looked at it as that doesn't define you as a person, right? Some of the races I'm most proud of are Western States 2021 and in retrospect, jackpot 2021, because I I applied grit to just finish on a day that was like not going that well. (laughs) At no point were those days going that well. But I was just like, yeah, like, wow, this is, this is what it takes to just be in this sport for a long time. What do you think? You're never going to DNF. That's like what my friend Chris Brown said. Yeah. What do you think? You're never going to DNF. Get over yourself, man. Let's go have a good time in, in Phoenix or Las Vegas, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know, um, but it's hard to tell yourself as a runner, this race doesn't define you, especially mm-hmm. when you're early in your career, right? Um and right now that's, that's more what I'm trying to do, man. I'm trying to just get to the point where I take it five meters at a time and just enjoy myself and stay present in the moment. Um, yeah. And enjoy this run. Dude, that is awesome, man. I just want to say, man, I'm so like happy for you that like you're, you're having this celebration for, for you. Right. And for going back to the race that you like love so much and like have such a good history there and just are going out and to enjoy it. And I think it's so amazing that you're taking the perspective of, Hey, I'm seeing it as a celebration and putting the pressure off yourself and just basically just enjoying it. Do you think like having that mindset really helped you in your training block? And I guess to double that on, do you suggest, I guess, having this kind of mindset with someone who like wants to have like a specific goal for a race, whether it is, you know, golden ticket or PR like to their certain, uh, you know, whatever that means to them or anything like that. Like, do you think that there's a correlation between good performance and like seeing it more as like, I'm just going to go out there and enjoy it versus being so like locked in on like that one time, like, or your splits or anything like that, because I think it's kind of like a balance that is so hard to struggle. And I found this in myself as well. And I know other people do as well. Um, so I'm curious to hear like your perspective going through like a whole block thinking, you know, having that mindset shift and, you know, going through even in the past of like you being very locked in on results, like what's kind of like the optimal balance, I guess, is the overall question to, to kind of go on this ramble, so to say. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balance. Cause if you don't have a goal, right? If you haven't told yourself a goal, you're out there kind of running blind, right? Mm -hmm. Have a rough idea of what you may like those splits to be, (laughs) you know, have a, have a rough idea of what's, what is too fast for my opening 20 in a hundred mile race. Right. Or, you know, what, what is too slow through the 50 mile mark to actually achieve a goal. I'm not going into this race saying, I don't care if it's 1245 or 16 hours that there's a line here, right, man. I mean, it, it would be awful cool to go out there and break 14 hours again and, and feel really good about it. Um, I think my fitness is, is better than that, but I think if you have a rough window of where you think you can run 
no matter if you're a, a 24 hour finisher at Javelina or 30 hours, have a game plan, you know, give some information to your crew and let them know roundabouts when you're going to come through certain junctures. So it's easy for them to crew you. Mm. Um, so they're prepared for when you're about to come in, but understand that if everything goes South, don't feel gutted. It's okay to have a disappointing performance, but have a reason for like, if it does go South, have a reason for why you want to stay in it, (laughs) right? Have a beagle or a seagull. So I think you need to set some parameters for yourself. I do. Like I myself, am just trying to continue on the path of convincing my own mind. You're not results oriented for this, but you have a rough gauge of where you would like to finish if things are going right. I do think for the prepared runner though, right? Let's say Joe, like you, you did, you and Zach, you did everything right in this build and you go there and, and you're, you're stressed, you know, exactly what your mouse switch should be for every mile. You come through certain aid stations, you're a little bit off, you get in your own head, there's anxiety, right? Versus if you go there and you understand there's some variability and the heat of the day could hit you a little harder than other runners, but the cool hours you choked up and you got a little ahead of where you wanted to be. And the cool hours later, you start to feel good again and you bring it back together. It's like, it's like painting, right? Where like you could come to the same finish and same conclusion as someone else, but maybe your method is totally different, right? It's like, it would be like, comparing and yeah, Nick Curry, Nick Curry is another guy I wanted to talk about, but be like comparing yeah. me and Nick Curry, right? We were, we were on a call like two weeks ago and I was like, yeah, Nick, like I'll need to have about 20 minutes on you, you know, at, at, at the end of lap four to, to hold you off, <laughs> you know, just kind of joking in this way that like, is there a world in which we could run the opening loop together? Probably not. Cause you're super mm-hmm. conservative and I like to choke up a little bit. Right. That's just naturally how I run. I run with the weather. Nick runs negative splits almost no matter what. Right. Yep. So there's a totally different process for me and Nick. And if you threw Zach in the equation, it would be maybe Zach would be even a little more aggressive on the positive split end. Right. Or maybe he would do what he did at the dome and go dead, even splits. Mm. But I inherited kind of this run with the weather scenario from Zach. <laughs> and I, I think that, each runner needs to go out there like feeling like they have some parameters that will set them up for success, but not so many parameters that you set yourself up for failure or anxiety in the middle of the race. Right. Mm. So, so that's, that's my kind of like baseline. And one of my main guidelines is, yeah, have enough parameters where you stay on top of your fueling plan. You don't make it really hard on your crew to feed you and keep you on the course. And you don't walk away from the primary mechanics of that gets you there in about the same, same time as in the past. Right. So it, it sounds maybe a little, a little country or a little simple, but in reality, it's like, just simplify it. I think we make, I think we make this way too complex, right? The training should be complex, but as a runner, when you get on, on the fin on the starting line, you painted the most of the picture already. It's just a matter of execution. So like be as relaxed as possible. This is you just like finishing the training block and the result of all that hard work coming to fruition, kind of your celebration. Right. So like you don't show up to your birthday party, like stressed. You shouldn't, you should just be like, cool. This is like my party this year. So like, I don't know, in a way it's like, if I showed up, if I did, if I put myself through all this stressful training and I enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, 
But if I put myself through all this stressful training and then I can't enjoy the party, geez, what's the, what's the point of it? Right. I mean, this is kind of the party. I get to go out to the desert with Jason Green, Steph Flippin, Cole Manette, some of my best friends, you know, whether they're crewing me or pacing me or, or just hanging out running Steph's running too. you know, it's kind of a situation where she's like, man, I just get to go to do this with some of my best buddies. Like I should just be as relaxed as possible. Focused. There is a purpose, but relaxed. And I think that's the scenario that's for the present me. That's the one that will personally line me up for, for success. I think. So good, dude. I love that. And I, I, on behalf of myself and others, thank you for that. Cause it's, I feel like it's such a good thing that people should keep in mind, like going into a hundred mile race. Right. And I know I can speak for other people who are very goal oriented, like myself, you can get so stressed in that moment. Right. And so like to, it's like, what, what's the point? Like, like, it's not going to help you. Like, why do this? This is your day. I love the analogy of the birthday party. It's like, this is what you train for. Like, enjoy it. Like, because, you know, it's going to be over quicker than, you know, you think it's going to be, I mean, granted being out there for hundred miles is never as quick as, you know, we always think it's going to be mentally, but in a flash, like, I mean, compared to what you put in for training, I mean, it's a flash in the pan. Like, so it's, uh, I think when you really got to enjoy that moment, like you mentioned, and just like lean into it, but also at the same time, hold that balance between this is my goal. And this is, uh, where, you know, uh, what I'm going to do to enjoy it during the race. So I love that last question here. Cause I know you kind of talked about like your, your, uh, like so proud of yourself for gritting it out during races and you're looking forward to, you know, locking in at loop four here at Havelina and like being in that pain cave. How do you address that? Because I mean, dude, like when you did your, uh, your, your record run for Havelina, I mean, your last loop time was just, it was, that was like incredible. Like, I mean, just to see you just out there gutting it out and just, just taking it by storm. Like you dropped the hammer. And I was like, there is no way like this guy is not, battling demons like but he's he's winning against the demons and so like how how, like what goes through your mind like when you know you got to drop the hammer and even like you said earlier in the beginning you're like it feels like internally like i might be falling apart but i'm very good at not showing it and that is probably one of the hallmark skills in ultra running so what's your approach to that when you're trying to chip out of the pain cave man it's a it's the same as mile 10, dude. I mean, I don't, I hate to be super simple about it, but like, okay, 10 minutes, like BCAA is 20 minutes, like, you know, big hundred calorie hit of, you know, a a gel or a sports string. I mean, I mean, it's so like, for me, I I feel that kind of marble in a groove, like Doug Latimer kind of feel to it, right. Where you're just, you need to just continue to stay on the same path, but don't, freak out like from now I'm being hunted <laughs> right mm-hmm. like the the thing for me those couple races were like okay Eric we have about 19 minutes on those guys let's not blow it by trying to make it 30 minutes at jackass let's just be relaxed stick to the mechanics of what has got us to this point don't go overboard we just need to keep doing what we're doing which is eat 350 to 400 calories an hour, ingest the right amount of fluid. Don't forget electrolyte tabs. Like Nick Curry said it best in that, Nick, when did you start to take risks when you were on track to break the American record? And he said, when I had the American record, and I was like, wait a sec, we we did a Mm -hmm. podcast with Nick. And I said, like, when did you start? No, no, no. Like, when did you start to be risky? And he said, 
when I crossed Mike Morton's American record. And in reality, that was, was 1200 meters to go. So why take risks unless you absolutely have to? That's, that's the whole premise for me is like, why force yourself into a position of being exceptionally uncomfortable or if you're on track for a really great run, let others make the errors and just stick to what's working. So when you get in that pain cave, try to just like, for me, it's, if I can focus on the micro of the moment I'm in, I'm more likely to have success for the whole process. If, if I focus on the macro of, oh no, I have 20 miles to go or, oh man, I've got 38 miles of pain left. No, no, man. Just like focus on your next feed, focused on, focus on five meters in front of you. So I think when I'm in massive amounts of pain, I'm really good at just like focus five meters in front of me, you know, <laughs> making sure that I go into aid stations with my bottle caps off and a clear mind of what I want be just as time efficient. Right. And in stages like that, okay, look, that's when you pick up your pacer. So for anyone running Havelina, what is the job of your pacer? You should clarify that for yourself and your pacer before you start. Right. Mm. So loops four and five. I always tell a pacer that I work with, keep me cognizant. Ask me if I'm eating, <laughs> ask me if I'm taught on top of like milliliters of water per hour, right. Or milliliters of fluid. And ask me entering the aid station, like, do you have the caps off your bottles? Is your ice bandana untied? And what do you want? 200 meters out. Get me thinking about those things. Keep mm. us time efficient. Because your pacer's job is to keep you cognizant and keep you time efficient, <laughs> right? It's your job to like pick yourself up if you're laying in the sand and, <laughs> you know, getting your mind, keeping your mind on the right path, right? Like that's your job. But I mean, every pacer could be different, but clarify with your pacer, like what the purpose of them being there is. And I think that makes the pain cave a lot less like suffer fest, right? For me, it's, it's a suffer fest. If I don't have a pacer that's compatible, right? If it's someone that's talking too much or pushing me too hard, like I like a pacer to run behind me and just be there for me. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of like, like pacing Charmin at Leadville, like, or him pacing me at States. I, I'm behind him when I'm pacing he's behind me when he's pacing, right? Mm -hmm. Ian's my coach. It, just to be on that path of like sensing what the person needs, right? Mm. And that makes the pain cave a lot more comfortable having somebody with you for 38 miles. Um, I don't know if I thrive more in that scenario or more in the scenario of I have to be in my own mind and I have no pacer, like at Brazos, right? Because right. it's USA championships. You, you can't have a pacer man, I've never had a more like magical, like enlightening experience, you know, just like, whoa, like that was a hundred miles solo. Like that was crazy. Like jackpot. That, that's kind of why I like am fascinated with getting jackpot right someday as well. It's just like, you have to do it alone, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, everybody handles it differently, but staying, staying present and positive in that, in that pain cave or deep in that. Well, that's, that's the most important thing. Just, it's not rocket science. Just keep doing what has been working all day. Don't, don't walk away just because you're late in the run. Don't walk away from what's been working, mm. <laughs> you know? So if you're, yeah. and if you're in a bad spot, change what's not working. <laughs> right. 
Right. hundred percent, man. And I love how, you know, even in the beginning, you're like, Oh, I hate to get the simple answer, but like, even right before that you mentioned, you're like, Hey, sometimes we make it so complex. Right. And like people are, might be looking for like the hack or like the, the switch or like, you know, whatever tip to like get out of the pancake. But like you said, it's really as simple as just like sticking with the plan, sticking with the strategy and changing based on what you've practiced, like if things are going south, right? Keeping it simple on there as well. And I even love that you include the pacer thing in there because many times we, I mean, I've asked this question on the show and I don't think it's, you know, any bad answer when anyone does answer this way. But I think the typical thing is like, oh, mentally, I think X, Y, and Z. But the typical answer is not, hey, you have a pacer here. How can you use this to your advantage to help you get out of the pain cave besides keeping you on track with the pacing? Like, I love that answer. I think it's so great, so tactical. And uh, man, that was just a, I mean, so many just amazing, valuable nuggets, like from this whole conversation that I think are, I mean, granted, it'll help me at Javelina for sure, but it will also help anyone listening here too um, in their next ultra, whether they're going out to Javelina in a few days or they're, you know, training for whatever next uh, ultra they're going to be batting on. So dude, you've, you, you crushed it here in this conversation and uh, couldn't be thankful enough for all the tips and everything like that. And for people listening in right now, first of all, I encourage you all to follow Patrick if you're not on the social platforms. Um, but would love to hear from you if people are interested in learning more about you, maybe like looking into coaching with you, which, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people are going to be excited after hearing the way that you approach it and just how well, like your clients are there. So where can they learn more about you, your coaching and dive into more of the world of Patrick Regan? Yeah. So you can look at my website, patrickreganrunning.com, which has a plethora of different information, um, especially my coaching services, both me, um, Nicole Manette, Randy Taylor, and then uh, Wilfredo Benitez is uh, like the nutritionist that we work with. So there's a coaching page there that shows you different rates for um, different coaching packages. Um, one of the most, one of the best ways to get to know like a coach is to do a consultation. And I have mm-hmm. some open consultations here in the next few months. Um, Nicole and Randy have open like monthly coaching services. Um, I'm currently full, but we'll probably open up a little bit in January. Um, I think the best way to get to know a coach though, is to do a consultation. So it's a one shot, you know, you get on a call for an hour to see if a coach is a good fit for you. And we all have those uh, available right now. I'm also on Instagram, uh, at Patrick Reagan running that's R E A G A N. And you can always email me at patrickreganrunning.com. Awesome. Amazing, man. And I'll put all those links that he mentioned and social handles in the show notes. So you can go right to it and I highly encourage it again. I mean, I've, you know, I feel like I've been a better runner and a better person just by following along with you. And I can definitely say that that has been compounded by an amazing conversation today, man, because you you delivered and this was, this was awesome, man. I think it's amazing. And I'm so excited to, you know, not only see you at Javelina next week, but I'm excited for you that you get to have this celebration at the race that you love at the course that, you know, you're so well known for and, and going out there and having an awesome time at the desert. But one last thing here, and it's a question I ask all my runners and we talked about tons of tips today. So it might be something we talked about, might be something new, whatever you feel like is best. But the question I ask all my guests, uh, Patrick on the show here at everyday ultra is what can our listeners do every single day to be a better endurance athlete? Be consistent, no matter you know, what your program is like, no matter what your bandwidth is like, try to have a consistent program week to week that works for you. And don't just, as Des Linden would say, right? Like, don't be the kind of runner that just checks all the boxes. 
be consistent and enjoy the process of what you're doing because who knows how long each of us have to be running to be doing this crazy thing. Um, try to enjoy every moment of it. So good, dude. So good. I love the consistency answer. And like, I mean, that's, that's the key is just staying consistent. I love it. And I love it. You mix the element of just enjoying it along the way. Cause as we talked about earlier in the, in the thing, it's like, if you're not enjoying it, like what's the point, right? Like we're all here. And to your point, I mean, who knows, like you can be out on the run and get an injury that can just change the course of it. So it's like, and I think a big theme of our conversation today is just like really just focusing on the moment, being present, enjoying it, really falling in love with it. And ultimately, you know, doing that on a consistent basis is going to get you where you're going to be. Patrick, man, thank you so much for this conversation. This was incredible. Like you just delivered so much value here and I really appreciate you and uh, excited to see what's going to happen at Javelina. I would say good luck, but I don't think you need it. I think you're, you're, you're going to have a good time and going to do well as is. Um, but nonetheless, my friend, uh, just so excited to see you out in the desert and looking forward to, to seeing you hammering out there. Joe, I'm excited to see you too, man. And uh, I'm wishing you a great taper and a great run. Just, man, Thank you. One foot in front of the other, five meters at a time, dude. Thank you, man. That'll be the mantra. I appreciate you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'm more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately give the value that you're looking for. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, Would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember, my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.